Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. Today's episode features Alec Steinfeld. Hailing from Austin, Alec rose through the ranks at C3 Presents to becoming the director of digital before pivoting his career into artist management. Alec and I discuss how digital has evolved over the past 10 years, specifically building community around talent. Listen in as we take apart the many hats that Alec has worn throughout his career, expanding the digital division at C3 to founding his artist management company to product at Spotify. Here is yet another episode that you do not want to miss. And now, hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, because we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Let's shift gears. I, I do want to talk about, you know, why did you get your MBA in the first place? And, you know, why did you shift your career into product management? Yeah, re- really good question. You know, I've, I kind of struggle with this myself sometimes. Good. Good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's like there's, uh, yeah, I mean, no, not everyone knows the answer to like what they're doing in life to a certain degree. I, you know, ever since working on the digital side of music, the reason it worked for me was because I was really fascinated with tech. You know, I taught myself HTML and CSS. A lot of my friends were in tech, like I was developing relationships at Spotify and Apple and all these different companies and kind of realized that like I was just connecting with the culture at these places a little bit more. Also, like when I graduated, they didn't have the idea of like an APM, which is associate product management role. Yeah. Which I guess certain people in college now would, would probably be aware of, but they're kind of like these really, really coveted post college roles now you know, like an APM at Google or, or a big tech company is like what every college student is vying for now. Like it's like the old people want to get consulting jobs, but they also want these. So that didn't exist when I was in college and Facebook was still considered like a startup, right? Which is like bizarre. And so like a lot has changed since then. And just being super real, like I had a lot of friends in tech and I kind of saw what their lifestyle was, like where they were and the type of work they were doing. And, you know, they had a lot more work-life balance. They were, you know, getting paid really well. And they were working on, like, really interesting, complex problems. Like, they could really nerd out about stuff. Yeah. And, like, I do like that. And I think for me, like, I kind of saw the ability to work in tech and see working on, like, really challenging problems that involve data science and complex business cases and cutting edge technology and meshing that all together and working on solutions that scale for millions, if not billions of people was like mind blowing to me and was like very exciting and was kind of something that I knew I just wanted to explore. And that's kind of like when I was talking to some of my uh, friends who are engineers they're like, oh, you would actually be a really good PM. So I'm like, what the, what is that? Like, I don't even know what that role is. You know, for people listening, it's, you know, it's product manager. Functionally, it's the job at a tech company that decides what people should be building. And they say it kind of lives between like three different vectors. Like one is the business cases. The other is tech and design. The business side is like, what do people want? Why does this make case strategically? The tech side is like, is this feasible? How do we do it? What technology does this enable? And design is kind of like 
the user experience and the usability and the what does this look like and what is this i guess fundamentally is this really solving what we build like really solving a problem right from a user perspective so you're able to kind of think about a lot of different areas and what seemed like it really connected with me on it is one i i tend to think pretty broadly about things like i tend to be a generalist and then the other thing was that like what was very similar to artist management is that you have to lead without authority. So you have to convince people to do things or have influence in places where you're just like not the boss. And like as an artist manager, like you're doing that all the time. Right. Like that's what your job is. Like even your client doesn't report to you, right? Like your client doesn't do what you tell them to do. You have to like make a really good case. Yeah, you need to say, well, this is this is why we need to be doing this, you know? And it, and it's not like <laughs> right. you're not employing them. If anything, they're employing you. No, no, they're employing you. This is why they're employing you. But you're constantly fighting that battle of like, exactly. this is where I'm providing you with value, but you need to also convince them and say, well, this is why we should be doing it. Right. They can fire you at any time. I mean, I, I would see that with managers too, where they would just continue to say yes to things because they didn't want to lose their job. And like, that was the other thing I was saying with like artist management is that like, I think in the long term, I kind of saw the lifestyle of artist management. And I, I, you know, I'm thinking that it's not something that I want to commit to. I remember I saw this image of like a, a guy who manages uh, some really big electronic client. And I was like at Izu, and this was when I was still at C3. And like, I saw him like with his family there, like at this like kind of ravey type show. And he had like two kids and like a wife and like, and like some people would look at that and be like, oh, I'm inspired. Like, that sounds great. And I'm looking at that and being like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to bring my kids to this this thing. Like, I want them to have like their own lives. Like, this is not like that interesting to me. And then you see like other examples where like, you know, the music industry is great, but like the work-life balance and like saw many examples of people who on the management side, at least, and definitely on the label side too, were going through divorces or like got married, like super late in life and like couldn't really have like a stable home life. And like, you know, it's just like, again, this is just like real talk. It's like a lot of people see that in music and get spooked a little bit, I think. And not to say that it's not possible, but, you know, I think for me, I think a lot of people relate to this where it's like, <clears throat> I think a lot of people do music because they feel like they can't do anything else to a certain degree. And like, they can't imagine themselves doing anything else. But like the fact that I knew that I could get this type of job or felt like I could, and it was a good path for me, which is why I kind of went all in on it and kind of yeah. went for it. So I know that was a long answer <laughs> and, and revealed a lot, maybe a little bit about me, but um, more than about the, the industry itself. But it's really great because, you know, when we spoke off the record, right, you were talking that you, you never really do any sort of self-promotion. Right. I had to twist your arm a little bit to do this. Right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. This is like this is definitely abnormal for me, like to be on a podcast. I kind of am on here, I guess, with the idea that I can maybe help people making these decisions, yeah. you know, like the music industry is like the crazy, crazy industry. You really have to 100% commit yourself to it and know that this is exactly what you want to do. Otherwise, like I definitely don't recommend going into it. Like do you <laughs> sell like, <laughs> yeah. But you're right. Yeah. yeah, I'm not wrong, right? Like, yeah, it's like do something else. Like all college students, like if you're like thinking about it, like it's not a good thing to do, right? Like test it out with an internship, try out different things. Like you should make sure you really or want to commit to it because like the music industry has to be a passion. 
Yeah. I always say more than anything, do these internships and take on tasks that you would normally not take on so that you learn what you like and what you don't like. Because the more that you learn that what you don't like or what you don't want to do, that's what's going to shape your career and where you feel like, you know, you're, you're going to end up where you actually want to be. And you might actually end up realizing, oh, yeah, you, I really didn't think I'd be into sync licensing, but... I always use that as an example because I hated sync. <laughs> yeah, I would hate sync personally. Like, <laughs> but I tried it, you know, and I, right, and right. I was like, I don't think I, I would like this, but I did it anyways. And I was like, OK, now I know that I don't like this. This is not what I want to do. And from there, you can start to rebuild. So throughout this transition into PM, I know that you're staying within the music industry, but was, what, has it been like a weird transition going from, you know, working in the artist management side of a large production company or promoter? And now switching your career, like, you know, doing your MBA and then pivoting into into PM. Has that been a weird transition or has it been like very, you know, do you feel like you, you've had the blocks in the right spot? You know, I think that because it was so gradual, in my sense, it was less weird than it would have otherwise been. Because, you know, I think getting an MBA, you know, like that's weird. You know, like that's dealing with totally different people outside of music. Like people have no idea what I do. Like when I talk to them as like an MBA, it's like, oh, I manage bands. So like, oh, you're an agent. Like when I was like applying for like my MBA, like going through the interview process, like that was just, and like writing out my application was like so much work because I didn't know how to sell like what I did to people outside of music. And I, I do think that that was the most challenging part and I got a lot of good advice from from other people who had made similar transitions. And then once that happened, then I was like, okay, well, how do I sell what I did specifically for product management? That was a huge process. And then I was also working on like an app on the side that like got me used to working with engineers. Right. And thinking about those specific cases. And then by the time that I got into Spotify, the biggest challenge I faced was like imposter syndrome of actually being there and the idea that I even deserved to be there because like there was a thousand people that applied and like, you know, there's other people that applied from like Stanford and Harvard and all these like major MBA programs. I bet they didn't have six years or eight years of music industry experience. Under the belt. They did not. Right. Like They did not. So like <clears throat> there's a reason they hired me. Like it's clear that there's these things that go into your head. So that was to me the biggest challenge. Once once I kind of was able to kind of like push through it just by like getting my head down and working, I found that like the experience wasn't that shocking. I found that I had a lot of the skill sets for working with like so many different personalities from working in the music industry that like normal distribution of personalities are like much wider yes. <laughs> in the music industry than they are in tech. Like it's much more confined. Like people are like, oh man, this person was really frustrating. And I found like, oh, they were a breeze. What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> so, so like I, and like people are like, oh my God, like, you know, the culture here, like it's so disorganized and there's like, there's no process. And I'm like, this feels like the military to me. What are you guys talking about? So it's like a lot of the things that like people complained about of working at like a startup and like a tech company were like things that felt completely different that were really nice to me. So like, I think what was helpful was like, you know, a company like Spotify still has a lot of that kind of startup bottoms up individual ownership mentality. And that's part of why it worked for me because like there's a good company fit there. So I think like the big thing is that like the big transition is like 
even though they're all big tech companies, they all have like such different cultures, right? Like I thought Amazon would probably be a good fit for me, but I think because it's such a mercenary culture that there's no like people that work on stuff like passion project is not something that like is aligned with. Oh, they don't have time for that. Yeah, they don't have time. I have friends that, that work at Amazon and, you know, like that, that are not from the music industry at all. And like they're very corporate and they right. even it's too mercenary. Mercenary is a very good word to describe it. It is. Yeah, that's a good way. And like some people thrive on that. Right. But like for me, like <clears throat> that's never been my mo yeah life. i mean i chose music because i was passionate about it and i still want to have that alignment with the tech products i work on so spotify like it was a perfect fit for that so i think it was good because the company was a good fit but i think if people were other making that transition that's like the one thing they'd want to consider so alec why do they call you the silent killer the silent killer yeah <laughs> oh oh so like yeah so i because i don't really self-promote that much of like what I do. I mean, I definitely do a lot of work behind the scenes, I think. And especially like, I think it's a good trait for managers, right? Like <clears throat> the ones who, other than like maybe like Moshe Lisi, like the ones who like are really good at self-promotion to me, like don't really stick it out in management for too long, mm -hmm. right? Because like, it's really has to be all about the client. And for me, I find that like, it's just more about knowing yourself, right? Self-promotion can be really helpful to help you gain opportunities. And it's really important to sell yourself, but you should also just do what's natural to you. And like no one, not everyone needs to be famous and front and center and an influencer and all these different things. Right. So I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a good answer, but that's kind of like how I've always viewed it. Like, I feel like the people who know me know what I'm doing and that's all I need in life. Right. Like I, I've never had a desire to be on like a 30 under 40 under 40, 30 under 30 list. And I, and I find like the people who get mad about or like frustrated, they're not on these things or like tend to be focused on like the wrong things. Right. To a certain degree. They're focused on shamelessly self-promotion instead of but but it's a double-edged sword right because if right. they are on these lists then when people are looking for a power player to have correct then it's like oh well my guy was a top 30 under 30 or a top 40 under 40 and that's yeah right he's my agent now or she's she's my manager yeah but people don't realize though is all the politicking behind the scenes and what they also don't realize is that here's another hot take for the music industry which i think that like um a lot of people will agree with and some people won't one of the big challenges of the music industry is that causality of your work is really hard to pinpoint you can be working on a really big client and like now all of a sudden you are famous and big and now are considered like a genius because you just worked on this rocket ship of a campaign but like was that really you, you know, like, or were you just like associated with this campaign, right? Like mm -hmm. you see this all the time in music, right? Like, because no one really knows, right? There's so many different moving parts and you're not really comparing like products, you know, in music, right? So it causes a lot of problems in music. One, it, it makes it so a lot of these sort of self-promotion lists are essential and it makes it so uh, title inflation is essential, right? It was a good reality check when I was applying to tech companies and my MBA, because in that world, they don't care that I was like, the title was the director of digital. They cared, what did I do? What was I involved with? And what were the results? Quantifiable results, right? 
you don't really have people in the music industry talking like that in a lot of different ways. They're not quantifying the results. They're not identifying what specifically that they did. And they couldn't really tell you in a, in a certain way. And one that creates a lot of anxiety, I think, in music. It makes it so people overwork themselves. It makes it so the companies take advantage of people because it's really hard. Like they don't even really even have effective one-on-ones or performance reviews with their employees uh, across the board, right? Yeah. And this makes it that like people are really have a lot of anxiety for losing their jobs, and a lot of people get underpaid, and it ends up being a lot about the sort of like self-promotion culture rather than impact culture. And so like, you'll see like a lot of people who, and, and a lot of trash talking, right? Because now people are like saying like, oh, this person didn't really do this. And that person really did. And like- We hear it all the time. Right, exactly. So like, that's like what's very refreshing about tech is that like, and honestly why I've always was very inclined to work for myself in artist management, right? Because like, no one can't say that like me and Anomaly or me and Rob like didn't build what we built, right? in a certain way, like no one can take that away. Like, you know, right. which is really fantastic, right? And that may be like my own personal ego problem. But, you know, in tech, it's really nice too, because it's like, you're constantly thinking about like, actionable results from your product and what you're working on. And you're measuring your KPIs, right? Exactly. You know, I, I had to do something last week for, for a prospective client as well. And, you know, I, I have to put my, my PM hat on too. And it's, it's something that's a little bit newer to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, kind of breaking down the overarching goals, your KPIs, like how we're going to measure them. And then what are our tactics on how we're actually going to accomplish these goals and, and be able to measure the KPIs. And by bringing this into the entertainment industry, it's very new. Right. Exactly. It is new. It's new, but it's hard. I mean, the reason there's two challenges to it, though. One is that, like, what do you even measure? What is success? right? You don't really know, like there's a lot of different angles. And the other is culture, right? The culture of the music industry is kind of like the sort of black box culture, right? Where it's like, you do this formula, you blow up this artist and you hope that you hope for the best, right? Like you never really know what's going to happen. Like, you know, you do the same press campaign, you do the same radio campaign. <laughs> you emulate it the second time and it doesn't work. So what was different? And then Yeah, you don't know. You have no idea. So it's like, that's one very exciting, right? But it, it also kind of feels like is my job just like scratching off lotto tickets? You know, that's kind of what the music industry sort of feels like at times. And it's like, you know, that can be really exciting for people. But like, I also see it literally drive people crazy, right? And they don't know it's driving them crazy, too. That's the other funny part. So I like the way that you think about it all, because you're, you're uncovering a lot of the, the major problems with the music industry, but also like... If you read between the lines, this is this is how you can get ahead. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really, how you can get ahead. And PR can be your best friend. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, it uncovers the reality and also why people hold these things important and what, what is important. Like, if you really care about succeeding in the music industry, this is why some people are more successful than others, right? It really, I do think it is about, like, finding a rocket ship and holding on for dear life. Like, the people that really make it big in the music industry really are attached to like a superstar client and we're part of that core team and can make a career from that. Like if you don't have that, like I I find it can be kind of challenging. Like a lot of people like more than kind of challenging. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You kind of just, you fall in line. You, You fall in line. Your, your income potential is capped. 
and you're kind of in your sort of mid thirties or like late thirties and wondering like why you, you can't buy a home or something. So right. it's, yeah, not to be too real about it, but yeah, that's just the, <laughs> it's, it's the way it is. I think I left music when I was 24 and I, I always called it a sidestep. And then I went into tech. I was a data scientist for a few years and right. did grad school in comp sci so that I can, you know, I could have a skill that I would have that wasn't just booking bands. Right. So, uh-huh. you know, and, and I think that it served me well because now, you know, fast forward four or five years and, you know, I think that I have a different type of job that I would have never imagined possible in the music industry. But, you know, have you been following all the stuff with title, all the big moves with squared title? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a lot of uh, again controversial opinions on it. So I don't know if they're that controversial. I'm maybe giving myself too much credit, but I yeah, I have I have thoughts on it. I think it's exciting. Hey, do you have any specific questions? No specific question. I was just going to say for all the listeners out there, how do you see what is happening at Title, and do you think that that's beneficial for the music industry? Yeah, very. I think that it is signaling a, a, the the right shift of what needs to happen, which is having these platforms. And this is what I wanted to do at Spotify too, is like, how do we get these platforms that are really focused on the sort of top of the funnel, sort of capture of the value chain and move down the demand curve, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, if you actually look at like a demand curve, like, you know, further out, yeah, it goes straight down like that. And, you know, when you go up, I don't know how the video will look, but like, you know, the there's certain people that have a really high willingness to pay and there's other people, and this is my MBA talking, but there's certain people that like, the further out you go, the more people there are, there's more people that have a very low willingness to pay for music, right? Streaming services did a really good job of capturing a lot of people with like a low willingness to pay right? The next stage is getting, doing better. And this is what you're talking about, community and all these different things. It all boils down to this, which is like, how do you find those those fans and keep pushing them down the demand curve so they have a higher willingness to pay and you're charging like a smaller amount of people a higher a higher amount of money, right? Right. Okay. Like, a, like the super fans. Like the super fans, right. And we, everyone's always talked about this, but it's been very hard to do, right? Mainly because of like what you've talked about you know, you talk about specifically, which is like first party data, right? And so the reality is that like the inertia of platforms like Spotify and other streaming services is that like, they should be built within these platforms, right? They should be. And it's beneficial for the platform and it's beneficial for the artist because the platform can capture some of that value and the artist can capture it too. And it's better for the fan, right? So Tidal is doing that. And I think it's going to create more pressure for other DSPs to follow in their footsteps. What I don't think is with this is that I don't think it's a differentiator for a streaming platform right away, right? I don't think having these sort of artist-friendly services is enough of a differentiator to get people off the walled garden effects and network effects that Spotify has, mm-hmm. right? I think fans ultimately care about convenience. They care about like the network effect of the service and they, yeah, they really just care about those two things, <laughs> right? And Spotify has both of those. And unless Tidal can get those two elements, I don't, I don't really see how, I, I view like the fan, like Spotify is in like a much better position to do it. Right. Because they already have 
the scale yes to make it happen like i don't i don't see that like these announcements from title is going to get them to more fans and more people like i getting them some attention it's getting them attention but i don't think it's getting people to switch you know i i don't think fans care yeah you know like in a weird in a, it's kind of a sad thing but like you know, a lot of people in the web3 community talk about like music's undervalued and like you know fans want to pay more it's like fans do not want to pay more like they do not want to pay more money, right? Like they want to pay as little money as possible. People were stealing music. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> people were like from their favorite artists. People were stealing music for a decade. Like, what are they talking about? I love Green Day, but I <laughs> I was the first one to go on to Kaza or Kaza or LimeWire or Frostwire or whatever to download the discographies. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like. Because it was affordable for me, and I didn't have to pay 150 bucks to get their catalog. Exactly. I mean, like, what what I think is just so funny is that, like, I just don't think that people really understand. Again, this is maybe pretentious MBA talking, but like, just microeconomics, right? It's like, if people can charge more for something, they will. Like, if Spotify could charge 30 bucks a month for music, they'd be charging 30 bucks a month for music, right? Right. But they can't because the alternative is free. Right. Right. And, and they're paying, like, people are paying for the convenience to have Spotify, right? And they've tried to increase how much it's worth. And they've done studies and they've tried to see, like, what people could pay. And they've kept it at that, right, for various reasons. So I, I think it's, like, very strange that, like, people assume that pricing power comes from the companies when it all comes from the people who buy stuff, right, in, in a lot of different ways. Like, you know, like we're seeing this with inflation, right? Like the reason prices go up is because more people have money and they can spend on items, so it drives up the price of goods, right? Anyway, so it, there's <laughs> there's like first like a lot of people just don't think on first principles on this stuff. Like I, I want people to pay more for music, right? But like I find this very delusional, a lot of this like Web3 stuff, these conversations and the title conversations and all these different things. But I like that you share, you, you know, you shared both sides and both of which yeah. are your perspective. And I like that because, you know, you do you do come from a business mind, you come from the music industry and you're going to be working at Spotify. So it's like you are quite informed on this situation, as I've been reading a lot about the articles. So I was, I was kind of curious to hear your perspective. And I think that this is something that can open up conversations potentially in classrooms where the students of you know people that are listening to the podcast can bring these things up they can address these problems because you know when when you and i were in university these are the kind of things that we would be talking about if they were relevant at the time totally we were all talking about how to remonetize the music industry i'm sure correct so alec thank you so much for your time and all of the wisdom that you shared yeah no problem happy to be here i hope this was helpful to people listening so thanks for having me Hey everyone, just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.